Hey everybody, Jim and Aaron back with yet another. I should probably say Aaron and Jim since I'm the first guy talking. No, no, it's Jim and Aaron. It's a very specific thing. It's like Laurel and Hardy. Nobody <laughs> says Hardy and Laurel. Yeah, I don't know. I, I gave up uh, first name rights without even thinking about it. Well, Love those many years ago. That's it's how t- I get you. It's time to renegotiate. Yeah, uh, we're we're back with another commission podcast. This one on uh, the Princess Bride. Uh huh. Princess Bride is infamous in bald move circles for a movie that you flat refuse to watch, even though... For 20 years, a good, solid 20 years. You had to make effort to avoid it. A lot of times, yeah. Because it was kind of uh, embedded in the fabric of uh, uh, our early going life. Yeah, right. Uh, A lot of my friends would watch this all the time, and I I distinctly remember... You know, I've seen probably half this movie, just in bits and pieces... And I, I distinctly remember it being on at many an occasion uh, when we'd be, like, sitting around playing board games or something. It would be on the background, yeah. and everybody would be like, oh, the, the good scene is on. Let's go watch it. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, all right, I guess. And I'd watch a bit of it, and then we'd go back to gaming. We were super nerds, by the way. Yeah. Super giant nerds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just the fact that – so what made <laughs> – <laughs> this is this is an ex- existential question. What makes Jim tick? <laughs> What makes a person decide in the face of uh, all of one's friends and the majority of one's family loving a movie to just be like, dig in, I don't need to see this? I, what, is, what about I get, that is satisfying to you? Sometimes I derive pleasure from other people's dissatisfaction <laughs> with me. Okay. Uh, and so when they say, hey, have you seen Princess Bride? And I say, no, no. And I probably layer on a thick, uh, thick a dab of, of like... No, I haven't seen that piece of shit. <laughs> uh, you, you, then they then they get indignant. You savor, they get, you savor their reaction. I do. I savor their tears a little bit. Yeah. That that I, that might be sociopathic behavior. I, I, it I could don't be. Know. Yeah, but I, I limit myself to very, fairly trivial sociopathy. Okay. Well, thank <laughs> God for that. Uh, so I just want to give a quick shout out to the people that made this happen. We had a bunch. This was a popular, uh, you know, one of the first things got voted to the com- community commissions, which if you don't know, that's, uh, there's two ways you commission a podcast. One, you just pay for the whole thing yourself. Others, you, the other way is you talk a bunch of people into going in $10 a share and, and, and right. get enough of those sold. And then we, we do it that way too. Uh, but we had a, a large and diverse uh, number of people coming together to commission this thing. We had Zan from Melbourne, Australia, Barry C. from the UK. It's the Coalition of the Willing. Uh, Allison Wildey, uh, Robot K, Brian S., John H., Stefan G., Mark S., Denise T., Leslie W., J.R., not Ewing, just J., and then the letter R., Okay. Ryan L., S. Duncan, Joffrey B. I can only assume it's Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pimonet and Weezer West. These are the last two usernames huh. I, that, that uh, I, I couldn't really extract any kind of proper name from. Uh, but your contribution is appreciated. I was nervous, excited to watch this because, you know, we watched it together and the whole time I'm like... If Jim just hates this, this is going to be a shit show of a podcast. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, before we start... It um, literally took... Uh, it's funny, because I would have gone to my grave having never seen Princess Bride. Yeah, no, I know If this it wasn't for you. the community here. Yeah. So, like, I, I mean, you'd have to clockwork orange me to get me to watch it. Or, I, you know, have me start a podcasting thing five, ten years ago. It was a long ago. con. 
it, it was the long con by the listeners, and they I, finally I, got me. I kind of think that if it, I think we are all guilty of a little bit of psychopathy because there was an undue amount of glee and delight when is the it, thing is it is it so, sociopathy or sociopathy? I I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I get I those know. confused. Uh, I think I said it wrong earlier. It's I'm I'm never going to be one to correct your pronunciation of anything. Okay, why are we psychopaths? Uh, because everyone was just g- delighted that they were bringing you down. <laughs> they were, they were. It's like I don't know if that's right. its own brand of insanity to bring down someone that's insane. But I, th- I think one begets the other, right? Like <laughs> you see a guy acting irrationally and like an asshole, and you want to sure. bring him down any way you can, and by forcing him to engage in the thing that he refuses to engage in, I think they win. All Ultimately. right, some solid psychology here. Uh, Barry C wanted to know uh, up front how much, you know, he said, given the, uh, all the pop culture references this movie has spawned, how much of this film was a surprise and how much did you feel was kind of new, percentage-wise? I, I think it was about half. Somewhere between like 40 and 50% was stuff I had seen. So I don't want to dig into the now, but I kind of want to know to better, because this is going to be largely me interviewing you about your right. experience watching this film. Uh-huh. Uh, I want to know... What was the kind of new? What What are the things that you felt like you had a good handle on? Like the the icon. What were the scenes that you kind of already had seen? Right. So I definitely had seen all of that Iocane powder scene. Okay. The poison scene. Um. The battle of the wits. Yes, I definitely seen all of that. I had seen a good portion of the first the the sword fight that Nigo Montoya and Wesley get into. Okay. Because I thought maybe that had taken you by surprise a bit. No, no, no. So I I didn't see a lot leading up to that. Like, okay. I didn't see them climbing the thing except for the very end of it. Like, I remember him kind of being stuck on the side. Sure. And then him getting up there and sword fighting. Yeah. Uh, didn't see a good chunk after that. I had seen... I, I had gotten glimpses of the Billy Crystal stuff, but not that whole scene. Uh-huh. Uh, there were a couple of other big, big moments that I had seen before. What do you think was the biggest, I guess, surprise of the movie? Honestly, I think the fire swamps, the rats and the fire swamps. Oh, so you had no idea that whole sequence is in there? No. No yeah, idea. It's kind of like it veers into Dark Crystal Labyrinth territory. Yeah, it's surprisingly good. Like I <laughs> Okay. It's funny, it's you get a sense of fear, like the monsters are kind of scary. The way that they they put people in costumes and they're skittering around and ugh. Sure. So the other the other pre feedback I want to get to, then we got some more at the that we're going to close with is uh, something from Zan, where she's saying, uh, uh, "Where I don't know if it's a, I'm assuming Zan is a is a woman, but there again, it's like uh, I could see Zan could be masculine as well." Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's it's a Star Trek name. It's like a it's it's some kind of uh, Australian only. I'm not familiar with Zans running around. A Xander? Uh, Would that be a Xander? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay. The only Xander I know is from Buffy. But it's not so. X A N. It's Z A N. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, they were hoping that you could sit back and forget what you thought you knew about the movie and just enjoy it. Uh, fingers crossed that you will be pleasantly surprised and wonder why you've delayed the experience for so long. No. So I mean that didn't happen. <laughs> so uh, just upper. De- what would you give this movie after sober analysis? What would you what what does this rating be? I give it a thumbs up. Okay. But I I Do you understand why people love the movie? Yeah, absolutely. There there are some truly iconic things about it. Uh I I just like having seen these big important parts of it already, mm. it didn't quite hit me as a whole the way it should have. Mm. Um and the way I think it hit a lot of people because, you know, I all my friends run around quoting inconceivable and I'm like right. Okay, well, he's saying that again, and all my friends quote that, and that's uh-huh. a thing in this movie, and uh-huh. it just didn't didn't work on the same level. Sure. You know? 
okay, so you're genuinely genuinely positive about it. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we can probably talk about some things we didn't like as as we go, because I'm going to kind of take this chronologically, uh, just, just okay. parts of the movie you want to talk about. First up, did you were you aware of the conceit of the movie being a story within a story? A dweem within a dweem, if you will. I don't think so. I don't the stuff think of I Fred remember Fred Savage, Savage Peter being Falk. In it. Yeah. Uh what do you think? So does this movie does the conceit of the grandfather coming and reading the story to his uh, largely unwilling grandson? Which several, uh, which one sharp listener drew a nice analogy with us and you in this situation? Uh, do you okay. think that added to the movie, detracted to the movie, or was neutral to the movie? Like, if I, you take that part out, does like it play? It. I I like it. I think okay. it works better because, like, then you get the very distinct storybook feel, right? Like fairy tale sort of thing. Whereas that's definitely what the story reads as. Yeah. And without that part where, oh, they're actually reading this story, it would feel a little bit like, okay, why is Wesley here? Like, why is he sticking around this horrible family? It treats him like shit. Right. Uh, like, all these questions just kind of evaporate in the face of, hey, it's a fairy tale. It's a storybook. Uh, and that's, you know, obvious in the, the movie. I think, it yeah, it's kind of disarming because there are some patently, it's, it's ridiculous, pa- pat- patently ridiculous things right. that the movie's like, this is a kid's story. Don't yes. worry about it. Yeah, and it also breaks up some of the tension. I think because, like, for I, you know, I know from experience with my son that there are some things that are genuinely terrifying for the five to eight year old kissing. set. Kissing. That's one of them. One of them. Yeah. The swamp rats. Like, I remember the first uh-huh. time I sat down to watch the smooth with my son. He shit his pants <laughs> when those ROUSs <laughs> came out and just went to town on Wesley. Yeah. Uh, he didn't, and I thought he would maybe nope at because I remember uh, I had a problem with the torture scenes, right? Because right. I've just never seen a person harmed for for sport before. And <laughs> even though the 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 machine is ridiculous, they don't play like it is. Like it yeah. seems like this guy is genuinely being destroyed. Uh huh. And I was fifty years of his life. I was really uncomfortable with that. But no, we didn't. We didn't even get it out of the fire swamp. Yeah. Um. I also like it because it plays kind of homage to the source material which is a novel written by william goldman but it propounds kind of in the same way that uh, J.R.R. tolkien said that the hobbit and the lord of the rings were books that he found and translated from hmm. earlier legit sources like a joseph smith sort of thing <laughs> this was like an abridged copy of the, the princess bride by some s morgenstern who doesn't exist okay um and like you know, that kind of story within the story aspect is in there too. But you, you're right. I think it also adds. What do you say? Touching. Yeah, yeah. I think it's there's something touching about this grandfather reading to his child and how the child is just like fuck books. I don't mm-hmm. care about your stupid story, Dad. I'm playing an Atari. I'm playing a Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's a really good. It's also a lens for the adult to get into it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and c- kind of. Kind of hit you in the feels a little bit. The other thing, if you're a guy my age, the vintage toys. Oh man! Like this is like all, all that stuff. Like I, I think he's playing a baseball game on a Commodore 64, which I had. Uh-huh. He's got all the Star Wars toys behind him. Uh, you know, it's uh, he's living in like an idealized eight year old world from the 80s. Sure, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Robin Wright. Let's, yeah. 
Robin Wright is some ethereal creature. Yeah, it's incredible. She was born gorgeous. She's like 50 years old now. She's still dropped Does she look gorgeous. any different? I mean... No, she's I... definitely... Uh, I would say that Buttercup, uh, the, the Buttercup era, Robin Wright is a much warmer creature. A, a little softer. Whereas little, she's now yeah. kind of like a, a, a frozen marble statue. Right. An ice queen. But she is really just frozen in time. Like That's also might be because I've only seen amazing. her as like the distant housewife of Bruce Willis in Unbreakable and... Right. You know, uh, Claire, Claire Underwood, yep. Underwood, and so I I don't know anything about the person, uh-huh. but she's 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 still beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, think she looks as good now as the day Princess Bride was filmed. I mean, that's the thing. Like Carrie, how do you pronounce this guy's name? Is it Elois? Man, that's one for the ages. I have Carrie no f- E. Yeah, who also <laughs> contributed to making this podcast <laughs> by making the movie. Yep. Uh, I, I I know watching the director, Rob Reiner, his commentary, I've seen it several times on The Princess Bride, and he just, like, every time that, that well, not every time, I every time the, the, the place in the director's commentary gets, he uh-huh. just, like, I can't believe I got these two beautiful people. Right. Like, I could have put them and they could have done anything and this movie would have been a hit because, like, yeah. they're almost so beautiful. It, hurt, it physically is painful. They're, they really are just, like, storybook beautiful. Yeah. Just, like, what you think of as princess and and hero. Like, right. classic, classic looks. But Carrie is – Wesley is also got – I mean, he's not just a pretty boy. I mean, he definitely is, but he's also believable as this swashbuckling heroic figure that could yeah. best the best swordsman in the world and 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 outfight a giant and and outthink this uh, Vizini character. Yeah, it definitely helps that I had seen him in Robin Hood Men in Tights before this. Like, I, I like him in everything he does. He's he's really good in Liar Liar. Even uh, that's you know kind of a very different thing but robin hood men in tights is where he's essentially playing a very similar character right so like i knew he could do this thing and so seeing him do it wasn't that surprising for me well see i had the opposite experience i knew him from princess right. bride and then when i heard he was you know cast in a farcical version of robin Hood, it was a, there was largely a reaction to the ludicrous um kevin costner, kevin costner <laughs> one which i just saw within like the last two months uh-huh. i was like oh my god I was actually disappointed in the, f- the final movie. Like, because, oh, my God, he's perfect? Yeah. Okay. All like, right. oh, yeah. my God, Mel Brooks is making a Robin Hood send-up, and he casts this guy? That's the thing. This movie kind of feels like a Mel Brooks joint in some ways. There are – it's – so I usually don't like tonal shifts, and I don't know why I give this movie a pass, because there's moments where, you know, you are genuinely concerned for the heroes. There mm-hmm. are moments where – uh, there, there's actually some tension and romance and and high drama, but then they also go to, like Billy Crystal comes on and it right. turns into a, a Mel Brooks comedy. Yeah, or they bonk people on the head and knock them out. <laughs> it, it's it's very PG rated Mel uh-huh. Brooks. Uh, but yeah, no, I it's I don't yeah. I don't know why uh, it can kind of run roughshod over all that. I know I was surprised to see that it wasn't a Mel Brooks film. It's actually directed by Rob Reiner. Which... Yeah. Who's also got, you know, a lot of different gears and, and things that he can do. I mean, he's uh, done this. Uh, he's done this as Spinal Tap, which I guess is kind of in, in a similar vein. But um, what's the stuff that uh, I'm trying to uh, – I've drawn a blank on the things that I know that he's kind of like uh, – Yeah. I don't, oh, like Stand By Me. I don't he think did, I've seen that. That's the one with Will Wheaton and 
Right. It's a I, Stephen King novel. I don't think I've seen that. When Harry Met Sally. I definitely haven't seen Misery. That. I've seen that. Like I didn't know he men, did that. Holy shit. A few good men. Right. So I've he's got a lot of different gears. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I feel like his gears completely you know, got ground off after a few good men <laughs> because I don't think I've, as I'm going through his, uh, his uh, filmography, it, it kind of falls off a cliff there. But anyway, you still did Princess Bride. You're all right by me. There's a lot of stuff in here. Too, and I think maybe this lends itself to feeling like a Mel Brooks film is mm-hmm. uh, a lot of cheesy stuff in here, mm-hmm. right? There, there's like when they're climbing up the rock face and they're on this rope and they're just obviously being hoisted by a crane. Uh, completely, you can tell. There's just a lot of cheesy effects, a lot of cheesy lines, a lot of a lot of cheese. I mean, the, even the film stock they use is very of the time, yeah, and obviously low low quality. <laughs> You, know? you should also, if you get a chance, uh, go on YouTube and watch the tra- the original trailer, theatrical trailer. Oh, I bet that's a hot mess. It is. I mean, <laughs> trailers have just become like these works of art in their own right. But it's uh. just, I don't know why anyone would see this movie if they release a trailer. And I think, I, I feel like Rob Reiner was kind of pissed at the way they marketed this movie. Hmm. And he didn't feel like they did it now. Fortunately, it became a cult classic and is kind of beloved by all, but... You're right. Yeah. There's like, um, like, like their prop boat is especially shitty. Yeah, it's like high school production level what a boat needs to be able to do. And You're right. That was pretty bad. There's also a lot of things like I've gotten from behind the scene notes, uh, like uh, Carrie Elwes's book and Rob Reiner's commentary that like Andre the Giant was a wreck of a human being at this point in his career. Yeah, his back was he was in constant pain. Uh, he was in very poor health. Uh, anytime you see him carrying Wesley or Buttercup, he's wearing elaborate braces and counter because he couldn't like he couldn't huh. carry Robin Wright, who probably weighs a buck oh five. Yeah, soaking wet. Uh, and this that's, is a guy who body slams two hundred and fifty pound men in the ring. Sure, or had sure. over the course well, of his that's career. One of the, I mean, first of all, he's he has a, a condition called a, like gigantomorphism. Right. It's it's Some, whatever it, it is it caused him to grow enormous. Like and that's the thing. Like he, this isn't a special effect. This isn't Hobbit shit. He's just yeah. twice as big as everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also I'm gonna include some of this in the show notes because they tickle me. There's a picture of Andre the Giant holding a tw- uh, like a 12 ounce beer can, <laughs> and it looks like it looks like I mean not even an eight ounce Red Bull. It looks like a ki- like some kind of kid prop thing. All right, guess I want you to guess his height and weight. I think he's seven foot five and four hundred fifty pounds. Oof, you are close on the Cause, height. Cause, seven four. Okay, because I've done some research on the the giant. <laughs> Apparently, he's my you favorite. Have. Like, I'm not even into wrestling, but I am a legit Andre the Giant fan. Five hundred and twenty pounds. <sighs> At what point? Because build, build weight. I you, don't know. You go that's... research because this guy's a Frenchman. You go and mm-hmm. research when he first start like joined the circus. He's eighteen. He was actually a really good looking. Like there's pictures really? of him like holding up like a ridiculous amount of women on his. Like, he's like cut like uh-huh. this like super heroic figure. There is an incredible picture of uh-huh. Andre the Giant, oh, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No, I think. no, no, it's uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain. Maybe? Okay, it's one of the really ridiculously tall basketball yeah, yeah, players. Yeah. Incredible photo. From it's Conan, just like from... the specimens of physicality. Yeah, except for Arnold looks like a little person. Yeah, no, he's, he's just dangling between the two guys. He's standing between a couple of seven foot plus guys. Yeah. I mean, 
But yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, aren't they picking him up? Aren't, don't they I think lift so. him up? They're, they're picking him up, and he's kind of swinging between them. And flexing, you know, as uh-huh. Arnold does. But um, I, I... Andre just seems like such a good guy. Like, everyone says nothing but huh. positive things about his work ethic and about him being nice as a person. And I guess he was in constant pain, uh, and he would drink heroic amounts to deal with it. Like, wow. two cases of beer a day. <sighs> Which sounds I mean, like a lot, but, like, like... He, you know, he would drink a, a pint like we would drink a five-gallon bucket, you know, proportionate to his, his size and weight. Other way around. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> his, his pint glass would be like a five-gallon bucket of beer. Okay. But he would drink just, like, 50 cans of beer. That's uh, insane. That yeah. I mean, that couldn't have helped his problems, right? Well, no. But, again, I mean, I mean is this it better was, or worse than Viking? This guy was destined to live a short life. Yeah, Like, yeah. most people that live with these conditions don't make it out of their late 30s mid 40s i think he got to 49 46 46 46 apparently um and i think he died kind of penniless too yeah if i'm recalling correctly doesn't surprise me i don't know i it's, mean the wrestling that's crew, a rough like, life like if you've seen the wrestler right imagine going through that except for you also have some genetic conditions that give you persistent health problems and yeah make buying clothes and everything else difficult uh but yeah, he's I I think he's amazing, uh, especially he still conveys this 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 size and strength even though he's physically decrepit. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about this movie, though, I I will say yes, a lot of it looks cheesy, but some of it looks actually pretty good. Like I was talking about the the rat costumes that they uh-huh. use in the the swamp and I or the forest, whatever it is. What, what is that called? Fire the fire swamp. Fire Swamp, but it mm-hmm. looks kind of like a forest to me. It looks like Dagobah, actually. Yeah. It looks exactly like Dagobah. I mean, because I, I had, when we were watching this and we were talking about it, I had the ink, uh, something tickling in the back of my head that this might have been filmed in the same studio, like the okay. same studio they filmed Star Out Wars London, on, which yeah. then led me to go, I wonder like if maybe some of this was some of the Dagobah set that's been reused. But I, don't, I, couldn't, I couldn't substantiate any of that. It looks a lot like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I think that stuff is all done pretty well. The castle set, I think, is done really well. Sure. Uh, I think it's a set. I don't think it's a real castle. It looks like a set to me. I was because it doesn't have the dimensionality to it. It doesn't mm. have like that three D look. They did a really good job of weathering and and like I, there are certain aspects yeah. of like the windows that I thought looked real. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, what do you think of the sword fight? That's like one of the man. I was fucking impressed. I was worried that you would think it looked very stagey. Fuck no. Okay. I mean, it. you know, it's not... Typically, sword fights don't go on and on like that. You get yeah. one guy, and they're a lot slower. Like, mm-hmm. there will be bursts of action yeah. versus this sustained sort of thing. But I thought just sheerly from nailing the choreography, uh-huh. those guys hit it out of the park. I mean, they go, like, left-handed and right-handed. And, yeah. you know, that's the gag there. But right. I, I, just, I was super fucking impressed with the whole thing. I got because you know, Carrie wrote this book as you wish, where he just told like it was on the, around the 25th anniversary of the movie, and he did like a tell-all. Huh. Well, it wasn't much like bad. It was just all like how great of an experience it was, and he just went yeah. into detail. And I haven't read the book. Uh, someone asked me if I had. Um, I want to. Uh, I especially want to hear the audio book because I guess he does a really killer impersonations uh. of a lot of the people in the, the movie. <laughs> like Andre? Yeah. Uh, notably, he does a good Andre, um, which isn't hard to do. You just kind of talk real low and straight right. everything. But uh, he mentioned that they trained for like months. I bet. Olympic fencers to get all this detail down. And this, 
the scene is supposed to be this like four or five minutes. Like Rob Reiner says, I, this has got to be like the greatest sword fight that we've seen in film to date. And it might have been. It's pretty close. Like I know there's been better sword fights probably since, arguably different. Like there's shit in The Matrix, yeah. there's shit in Wirefu movies. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Rob Roy has got a pretty different, impressive sword fight. But they did it all out and they got so good him and Mandy Patinkin that they actually did the four minute fight in like a minute 30 (laughs) when they actually showed up to film it that day. So they went back and refactored it. And I guess originally that like doing all that, uh, you know, swinging off of the tower Uh and like they added a lot of embellishments to make it it more impressive and to kind of slow it down. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was shocked at how good that was. And like some of the, I don't understand why some of the lines work as well as they do. Like when Inigo is, uh, first of all, I think that like, you know, their whole interaction on the cliff works really well. Like they have like this insane chemistry. And then in the middle of sword fight, he's like, please tell me, I must know who you are. He's like, get used to disappointment. (laughs) And Mandy's delivery of like, "Eh, okay, okay, this is my life now (laughs) is so hilarious. It gets me every fucking time. Yeah, that that was a really good one. <laughs> um, that's the that's the trouble with it though. Like I had seen all this this stuff from the yeah. Princess Bride, and so the parts that really should have hit me, like they didn't in quite the same way because I knew I was coming. But that one, I I didn't remember mm-hmm. where he's like he's disappointment. He just responds okay. Yeah, it's just like okay. like no quippy. <laughs> sort of thing just okay uh but it's it, the thing is it's up. the delivery that that makes yeah. it work uh yeah. what do you think about the test of strength again like i i mean it's just funny for a andre to explain i, I don't know the scenes is funny is the test of strength where he grabs him from behind sure. and chokes him out? starts chokes him, choking okay. him out and okay. the whole wa- reason he's like talking about what it's like to fight as you. a giant and as he's uh-huh. passing out he's still giving commentary it yeah. it cracks me up every time why do you think that is? Do you think he thinks he can't be beat, even as he's in the process of being beat, or is he just too dumb? I mean, this guy to, is just such a gentle soul. He's like, but I'm, it, it's it's hard to figure him out because, at the one hand, he's real dumb. I think he's willing to beat Wesley's brains out with a rock if uh-huh. if he's not going to put down a sword because he's not going to die. Sure, um, but he's kind of strangely apologetic about the whole thing. Uh-huh. I. I, I I don't know how to analyze the comedy of it, but there's something hilarious about them having this genteel conversation while yeah. Andre's like, and it looks painful every time he slams him against that rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 520 pounds of meat <laughs> smashing you Even against that rock. Even if he's just rock. stunt slamming against a styrofoam rock, right. that's still got to gotta be something. Uh-huh. Um, I, but, yeah, I, I, again, and also just a physical comedy of – how huge Andre is versus Wesley. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, do you want to talk about the Battle of Wits? This is one of, I think, for first blush, the f- one of the funnier moments of the film, just because, Wal- right. what's this guy's name? Wallace. Um, ah, I can't remember the guys, but he plays the Grand Negus in Star Trek The Next Generation, which you had a hard time looking over. Because I, 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 he exa- he acts exactly like it's the, the same Grand character. Negus. He yeah. has the same voice, the same mannerisms, everything. Uh, I want to say it's Wallace Sh- Scott Sean or something like that. It might be Wallace, yeah, Wallace Sean. Uh, yeah, something like that. I This guy, Everyone every in- time I see him, I think of the Grand Negus from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But he's got some of the funniest lines, the whole, like, you know, when he's like, just how smart are you? And he's like, have you ever heard of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle? Uh, Morons. 
Right, right. <laughs> and the, the, some of the stuff he says, like, and that I know the people of Australia have gotten the wrong idea about me and how I view the uh, unwashed criminal continent of Australia. But sure. 99% of the reason I, I make that joke is because of his line where he's like, and ev- as everyone knows, Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. Uh-huh. I, it's, it's hilarious. Like, what? Yeah. No, it's also it's... like, what fucking time in history is this movie set in? Because sure. in the Renaissance or before, <laughs> no one knew where the hell Australia was. Right. But if it's set in a modern setting where they would know Australia, yeah. they, they wouldn't be roaming around doing the things they're doing. But it somehow works because the book that uh, uh, that this based on is kind of a a a spoof of the fairy tale but also has a lot of um what i would call uh like what what do you call it with us what is a political commentary it's not a spoof it's a it's a satire, satire? It's, a, it's a farce huh. okay so it's got a lot of those anachronisms in it as yeah. well um and i just think that's that's funny that he's got you know, iocane powder comes from Australia, which shouldn't exist, and blah, blah, blah. And, and it makes sense, given that this is literally a book that this grandpa's reading to his child. Yeah, yeah, So it doesn't matter if there are inconsistencies in the story, because that's just in the book. Sure. Uh, can we talk about... So at this whole time, this guy is purporting to be this man in black, and he's trying to... We don't know why, but he's trying to keep... He's trying to go after this princess, Buttercup. I, I mean, we do know why, right? Well, we I'm know that the man this, in black is point, really Wesley. Yeah, that's right, because we as the audience know this is Wesley. Yeah, there's it's a Clark Kent situation. It is. There's no debating who yeah. that is. Uh, what is his game? When he finally catches up with her? And... Someone donated to us a copies of this um, a book called uh, About the Princess Bride and Philosophy. Yeah. It's interesting, because there's a lot of uh, professors of philosophy and... Uh, you know, digging into things like, you know, what is the nature of a promise? What's the nature of a lie? Uh, you know, what what uh, th- this uh, the issues of trust and they, they talk about a little bit of this. I've read about half the book. I haven't read the whole thing. But okay. one of the things they talk about is kind of like, you know, what exactly is Wesley trying to get at here? Did you have a read on this? I don't know why he's pretending not to be Wesley. I, I get that there's some anger and there's some confusion there. He went um, off, so, so they pledged themselves to each other. Yeah. Uh, he went off to make his fortune because... So he could marry her. So he can marry, so he can pay the dowry price or whatever bullshit patriarchal things going on here. Uh, he gets kidnapped by a pirate and presumed dead. And yep. then, meanwhile, for a political stunt, the prince decides to marry a commoner. And he's also got this whole... like. There's this also this other subplot about... You know, trying to start wars between nations and a false flag operation. That's right. kind of like, you know, no six-year-old is getting all this in the, in the thing. <laughs> but I feel like that he doesn't know for sure whether he's rejected, she's rejected him or not. Whether it's like, you know, yeah. it's like, is she a gold digger? Or did she, you know, on the other hand, if she thought she's dead, like to me, that's it. Right. Like that's, you know, if you think someone's dead, this is how I came down with the Shane and Lori thing. With yeah. The Walking Dead. If someone's dead, then if you really sincerely believe someone's dead, then the marriage is over. Sure. Or the no, engagement. I, I get that. And I, it seems like. And if you can't ever love again, then why not go for fame and, and riches, I guess? Yeah. No, there's definitely there's definitely anger there on Wesley's part. That, but she, they also make that it... she would not, that she would just, you know, get married to some other guy. 
when he's been gone, what, three years, I think? If I might have been five. Five at some point? Okay. It's a long time. It was, yeah. Uh, but it's just like, I, I don't know. Her, her, she has confusion about what actually happened to him. Sure. He has anger because I'm not sure he understands what she knows or what she thinks she knows. Yeah. Like, does he know that she thought he was dead? Yeah. Or not? Because they don't really talk about that, right? But it he seems just like he falls goes, down he, and... It seems like he plays this game way past the point of where a reasonable person would be yeah. like, okay, my darling. Reveal yourself and see what happens. <laughs> and maybe talk some of this shit out instead of just being angry at each other. I guess he... That's kind of interesting that he doesn't feel like he can trust her. Yeah. Like, yeah. if he reveals himself, she might say some false bullshit. I mean, yeah. to be sure. If if she just decided that she didn't want him and she wanted to marry this prince or whatever, this king, Prince yeah. Prince Humperdinck, yeah. yeah. Uh, then maybe she he reveals himself and she's like, Psh, whatever, man, I'm getting married. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. Or, the I mean, I guess you could imply a pseudo-noble intent that... If she genuinely did love the prince and want to marry him, maybe he doesn't want to interfere okay. with that. He wants to rescue her, sure, uh, from whatever's happening here. There's also, like, if you think about the yeah. timing of the situation, like, how the fuck? What do you mean? Did the, the, the Dread Pirate Roberts get wind of this plot and happen to, like, why is he just now? Like, I guess he just, the way I think the chronology worked is he just recently got control of the revenge the pirate ship okay at the same time that buttercup was to be married at the same time this guy's gonna have her killed to frame the nation of gilder into going into war with florin you know what i mean like Uh, that's very well they they do well to pick up kind of just right in the middle of that that's true and also she's basically on the boat so don't sweat it too much right right yeah uh, what do you think of this? The other thing I thought was really impressing, impressive is the stunt tumbling, tumbling that these. Oh God! And it's kind of funny because she just trips and like he, she shoves him down uh-huh. and he's having a bad time of it, but she just kind of trips and then tumbles after she realizes that it's Wesley. Yeah. And I wonder because I've seen this in many movies since, like almost the parody of falling down a cliff, and then I've seen some playing it straight, like uh, that Lone Survivor movie about the Navy SEAL. Holy shit! I guess that happened in real life. That I these, haven't seen that. Is that these, the Bradley Cooper one? No, no, no. That's American Sniper. This is the one about Marcus Luttrell. I think is his name. And it's a four, fourteen, four uh, Navy SEALs go to Afghanistan on a recon mission, and they end up getting into a world of shit. Huh. But there's one point okay. where I guess this happened in real life. They all four of them, they're at a cliff essentially, and they got like twenty guys with assault rifles coming at them, and they're like, "Well, we can either die here or take her." Ch-. And they decided to hurl themselves off this cliff. And it feels like it's lasting for a minute, these guys falling down this rocky cliff. Jesus. Breaking legs and backs and right. it's, it's it's fucking insane. They needed they needed a pouch full of stones, then they couldn't cut the rope and send them to their death. <laughs> you know, um the the thing that's funny about the stunt tumbling though is the buttercup is clearly a man. Right, right. That stunt double is <laughs> I, he, might that even is have a, a bad wig. Might even have a beard. Uh-huh. It's it's kind of like uh, it might you, be Rob Reiner, <laughs> <laughs> very slim Rob Reiner. Uh huh. I imagine he was slim back in the late eighties. Uh, did you get that? So we go we go on to the fire swamp, which I think the fire swamp is pretty incredible. I, uh, yeah, I liked it. The quicksand effect, oh lightning my God. sand, is really good. Like uh-huh. I'm not even sure how you do as something to where 
you can dive into what apparently is solid sand and smoothly go through it and not break your, you know. Like I have I can, some ideas. I've got some ideas of how it can happen, but this the, the reason the sand doesn't like fall in, like it doesn't make a hole. Yeah, I imagine it could have. You could have some kind of like. Imagine if you took like rubber, like a balloon or something, mm-hmm. right? You stretched it out over that hole, and you put like a a hole in the center of it to where when somebody dove through it, It'll it would expand right like and constrict around their body so the sand doesn't go down. Yeah, and then it would snap back once they're through it. Maybe gotcha. something like that. Okay. And there then and then they just dive through, and there's a a literal pool underneath that they go into, or. Because I'm thinking, like, if because he dives head first, in. yeah, like I, if, if if that's not if that's like a, any kind of padding, I think you'd break your neck. That, yeah, that would be no good. Of course, I guess stuntmen do kinds of crazy shit all the time. It's true. Uh, that's true. But no, it looked great. Looked great when they're 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 pulled out. Um, I'm actually a big fan of the rodents of unusual sizes. Yes, I will tell you that it was only the first time I watched this with my son that I got that that R O U S S was actually an acronym. When do they say that? They, she calls them the, you know, uh, he's like, uh, R-O- she says, what if R-O-U-S is? And he goes, rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. I thought that the R-O-U-S was like some kind of weird language, like, you know, some kind of French term for these rats that was translated as rodents How? of unusual size. I mean, that's what, it, I, well, hmm, okay. That's what I said. I didn't okay, hear, you thought I, it. I heard language, not letters. And like for twenty years, I didn't get that. R O U S. So like A R, like R O, like a tray U S E or something. Like like if someone says the name of you, that could be you know like a license plate type of deal, right. or it could okay. be the guy's name. I thought R O U S. That shocks me. How many times have you seen this, dude? How I'm, recently? I'm not proud of it. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. <laughs> okay. It's like the Natalie Mar- Merchant song. I thought instead of uh, the way I feel under your command, I thought for many many years. I mean, I didn't literally think this because it's ridiculous, but I, I couldn't piece out what she's saying, so I just sang the way I feel I'm the Orkin Man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Genius.com came out, and I'm like, oh, of course. All right. Almost led you down a path of extermination as a career. <laughs> I think the ROUSs are pretty inc- – like, they're really solid effect. Like, the only thing that gives they them are. away is that their rear legs don't bend right. But I feel like that also gives them, like, a creepy sort of skittering, yeah. scuttling quality to yeah. them. Yeah, and it must have been hell to be the stuntman doing oh, that yeah. because, like, it's – like, do bear crawls, you know, where you're walking on your hand and feet and, and, and as fast right. as you can. That's That's murder. But it, yeah, th- those are effectively freaky and super gory nasty. too. Like he right. gets his shoulder fucked up. Uh-huh. Uh, did you think the other thing I, I had an idle curiosity and didn't research is it sounds like the ROUSs are voiced by Frank Oz, it uh, really does. Grover from uh, uh, Sesame Street and Yoda fame. Yeah, no, I thought so too. Um, okay, so they get out of the fire swamp, and you know, one thing like leads to another. Uh, Buttercup sacrifices her happiness to save Wesley's life when the prince catches up to them, and he takes he he takes uh, has him taken to the pit of despair. Yeah, which then it goes into total Mel Brooks mode. Like you literally mm-hmm. have this crazy albino, I mean, straight out of back thing, and. Well, except for this came before it, and he's got right. the raspy, hunchback voice, and then he clears his throat, and he's got this very melodious... I mean, that's just the broadest of broad comedy. Yeah. Did right. it work for you? Yeah, why not? Okay. I I, I don't know. Mel Brooks-type stuff is touch and go for me, but... 
I want to talk about one thing that doesn't work emphatically for me, and that is this movie's soundtrack. This movie's soundtrack might have been okay when it was made, but the the eighties synth, it's like it it really could have used a full orchestra score. I think. Yeah, I'm trying to even remember it. I it was just forgettable for me. I didn't. Yeah, and it also does like it. weird things like I that I feel like in a in sword fight it did almost like you know some Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey kind of drum rolls and hmm. like comedic beats that I think would have been better if they played it straight. Okay, but that's the and and I think that the soundtrack it when it gets these Mel Brooks moments really goes into the high gear when I think it could have probably been more subtle and played more straight and be, been even funnier. All right. I also want to talk about the scene between Count Rogan and Prince Humperdinck when they're discussing whether Humperdinck is going to witness Wesley's first torture. Okay. And there's like this two-minute scene of the bad guys in the movie talking like just regular like, oh, you know, I'm so swamped. I got all these things. And Count Rogan's like, well, if you haven't got your health, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself. If you haven't got your health, what have you? Right. What the fuck is this scene doing in this movie? I... It's not know. funny. It, does it make him relatable? I, 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 I mean, it's it's funny in a very meta way. It's of funny like, in why? how mundane it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Like these are super villains. These are evil men. They it's should banal. be. It's concocting plots and and I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a stab at like Hitler had a dog too moment. Like right. you know, these people like they they these guys are bros. They genuinely can. But they're evil, but they care about each other. I can't tell if that's supposed to read like that, if we're supposed to feel some attachment or at least uh, understanding of these guys through those moments, or if yeah. that is literally there just to be a laugh because look at how, you know, just pointless this conversation is yeah. <laughs> with these people who are plotting evil evil plans. Uh, I don't know. What did you think of the life-sucking machine? Various steampunk medieval torture device. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, what did I think of it? I mean, it's a fairy tale book, so I wasn't like, oh, that could never work. It could never suck away someone's life. It terrified me as a child. Uh, There's something very cold and, I don't know, I, I still feel like it's just, anytime... You know, you read stuff about, like, what the Nazis got up to. And anytime you just have, like, the cold application of science and medicine towards the suffering of humanity, uh, that's some, I mean, like, any kind of torture thing, I guess. is like, God, someone thought about this thing and then built right. it and then used it on people. Yeah, yeah, and practiced. It's it's disturbing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, well, that's going nowhere. I mean, the, the machine <laughs> itself, I don't. Like, I, I think it's a cool concept, though. It is, yeah. It's different. It's different than like we're just going to cause you some pain here. And it's great because this is like a, just a, this is a soft PG, not thirteen rated movie. It's a great way to get into a medieval torture scene without offending anyone's sensibilities. And yet, right. I still think it's horrifying. Uh, no blood for, for, for children. Yeah, I mean, the idea of sucking away years of your life is also horrifying in and of itself. Yeah, the fact that it's it's like whatever, and I I never like I knew whether it's this the experience of the pain yeah. takes years off your life or it's literally sucking some kind of ineffable life force when so like let's say wesley was destined to die when he was like 40 mm-hmm. and they crank it up to 50 years uh life sucking what happens mm-hmm. to him he just dies right i mean he that's dies what on I mean, the... like, he's he's so, approximately so... 20 years old and they did crank it up to max can we infer that he wouldn't have lived past 70 I, that's a good question 
Uh, or was it just too much? Is sucking that much life out of someone just yeah, that too much, much vitality? Yeah, probably. And the other thing yeah. is, like, Rogan had never done more than three or f- the five. So, like, who right. knows whether the scale doesn't go logarithmic. It could have been sucked a thousand years yeah. off his life. He just doesn't. How would he know? It's just an experiment to him. Uh-huh. Uh, let's talk about Billy Crystal. Okay. <laughs> because I'm not a big Billy Crystal fan. I am not either. But for some reason, this Miracle Max shit this vaudeville shit works for me. This is his shtick. I mean, if you don't like this, you're not going to like Billy Crystal. I don't like Billy Crystal. I like this. Which is super surprising because I feel the same way. I think he, I mean, because I, I also, I remember liking Silly, uh, City Slickers a lot as a kid, too. Okay. And I've seen him, like, on Oscar, you know, be very charming and kind of in his lane in the Oscar stuff. And, it, you know, when he hosts an Oscar, it's pretty funny. Yeah. But the story, I guess that he was on the set for like three or four days. He's in Miracle Max get up for 10 hours. And the story goes that the man never repeated a line twice. He just ad-libbed everything. And Rob Reiner had to leave the set because his horse <laughs> laughing was interfering with every take. He just like, and there's, yeah, again, like this gets me every fucking time where he's like, come on, go away. I'll call the brute squad. And Andre's like, I'm in the brute squad. He's like, you are the brute squad. Like the timing on that. It's and his take on it is so goddamn funny. I laugh. Ah, oh, there's a couple. I mean, like there's a couple points in young Frankenstein, like the putting on the writ scene in young Frankenstein. I brace myself and I get ready for it. And every time I'm in tears laughing. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you, you, there's some things you can't prepare for. Like Absolutely. The, the fucking iron giant. Same way. <laughs> Like, my girlfriend right. put that on this weekend. She goes, isn't this the movie you always cry on? And, like, <laughs> and you was, were already crying. No, halfway through the movie, I was anticipating the end. I'm like, nope, fuck it. No, get this off. I got to go to a birthday party. You do not want me after Iron Giant going to this damn birthday party. Right. But now nah, he's... I, I Billy Crystal, know. yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Billy Crystal in general. I liked him in this. I also even the MLT mutton, lettuce, and tomato that shouldn't be funny, but it fucking right. cracks me up. Uh, I really like his. He, he does this stage show, which I it's an autobiography sort it's of a deal. one man thing. Yeah, yeah. It's called Seven Hundred Sundays. I watched it when it first came out, just kind of as I don't know, just something to do because I don't really like Billy Crystal. But it turned out to be really good. Like I really? was super impressed by that. I avoided that because I was Billy Crystal as a one man show, and I feel like it's just Billy I, Crystal turned up to eleven. I couldn't handle it. It's. It's more heartfelt than a Billy Crystal thing has any right to be. Because hmm. it's about his dad. Like, the 700 Sundays mm. is about, like, is the number of Sundays, you know, probably roundabout, that he had with his dad before he died at the age of 15. Mm. He talks all about his history with his dad and his history growing up in New York and, like, all that okay. kind of stuff. It's real, real good. I could see that being... Uh, he does do comedy, obviously. But This is like Robin Williams does his best work right. when he's got some kind of constraints on him. Yeah. Or when he has his penis out. Uh, <laughs> One of the two. If you let him go full on schmaltzy, like, you know, Patch Adams, it's terrible. If you let yeah. him go full on crazy, it's it's kind of terrible. But, you know, in the, in the right project, he does does really good work. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about and praise is the physical comedy that they get up to when they've got, like, the weekend at Bernie's Dead Wesley. Yeah, that stuff's real good. He go like the stuff he does with his like uh when they're trying to like, you know, put their hands together in the middle like everyone and and he's just trying <laughs> to get momentum uh-huh. with his shoulder to flop his arm up there and his just ragdoll on his neck. 
it's 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 good. It's good. It's amazing a guy that young, that good looking, can be that good at timing. And I'm sure there's the direction goes into it too. Yeah, he kind of has all the advantages. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's it's it's kind of sickening. Uh, <laughs> can I just say, kind of leading from there into the raid on the castle? Uh-huh. Uh huh. That Dread Pirate Robert scene is fucking terrifying. So, yeah, like it's it funny, you, huh? but it's also like, oh my god, Can Andre you the Giant Andre on, on fire. fire, charging toward you. Yeah, that's frightening as if shit. If you can understand what he's saying, uh-huh. it's terrifying. If not, it's just some guy <laughs> making... I'm the Dwayne Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Horrifying. A Holocaust cloak. Now, I will I say... I finally also got that. It's not Holocaust-like... It, the original meaning of Holocaust is this fiery destruction, so it's a cloak that's designed to catch fire. Oh, okay. That's a thing in this universe. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Mm. They they mention it once, and then and that's the other thing. That's ridiculous scene. that he just happened to have everything. Like the wheelbarrow makes sense, but when he pulls it, yeah, up, yeah. it's like okay, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> uh, but the the scale is a little strange mm. in this part of the movie. How so? Like he's ninety feet tall. He's taller than the fucking wall. By like two hundred percent at one point, and then he rolls up like Andre the Giant isn't that big. Come on. Oh, oh, oh. well, yeah, they do. They did a little bit of perspective, I think. Yeah, yeah, but who cares? The other thing, I don't know if you were prepared for how funny it was, but I clearly remember the first time I saw this movie when we got to the impressive clergyman, the marriage scene. And he That's opens the other his mouth one, and does yeah. the mowage. It's it, it's hysterically funny. Because yeah. uh, it's it's you know, I don't know why we laugh, but scientists tell us <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, we laugh to deal with the stress from like thinking that something is going to happen and something different happens. Okay, like you know, like if we're all in the Serengeti and we're all monkeys and we think a, a tiger comes and then uh, out comes it's a, a porcupine. Yeah. Oh, we laugh as a way to get to 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 get make our stress response go away because it's not he- healthy. Jacked up on that much adrenaline, yo. Sure, I don't know, but I just know that you get this guy looking like he's going to give the marriage of a lifetime, and he says mowage, right? A dweem within a dweem. It's the funniest damn thing. It's good. It's I'm not that, as I, funny now. I've seen it. 50 I knew it was times, coming. Right, but yeah, like I've seen that scene multiple times and. Uh, the other thing you got to think about is Prince Humperdinck employed this guy. Sure. He's got to know what's coming, right? So he clearly doesn't mind this ceremony with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, he's That's all, the meta level here. He's the, he goes for an impressive looking. Yeah. He's going to look really good in the wedding photos. <laughs> uh, it's really going to enrage the, the, the people of Florin when they, Buttercup gets married. Uh, what do you think of Count Rogan as far as movie villains uh he's kind of the right hand man of yeah the six he's the six-fingered right hand man (laughs) right uh i think he's good i think he's good he's a little more serious than everybody in it he feels like more impressive of a a just an actor you know yeah everybody else seems to be hamming it up a little bit he kind of doesn't yeah what's the guy that plays the papa lannister and is it uh, charles dance yeah this feels like the Charles Dance role from uh, The Last Action Hero, where he's operating on a, t- a level that's different from everybody else. Okay. And it, it works. I you get need you. somebody to kind of... But this guy's got such a pale reptilian thing. 
Yeah. But yes, he's also allowed to be funny, like when, you know, him and uh, Inigo finally confront and you think they're going to have this big duel and he gets kind of in his fighting stance and <laughs> just takes off running. Yeah, it's that's good. It, it, it works because he's been at this point just like, you know, built up as this big thing. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do I want to talk about? Uh, what did you think about the final the final scene with uh, Inigo Montoya? Where he actually fights Hello, the uh, yeah, six, and, and, six finger man. Did that did that play like believe like he's got he gets a dagger through the gut, he pulls it out, he's able to just with his last vestiges of strength parry the guy's sword into his both Which shoulders. I think it's hilarious. And then he seems to get like invigorated by his revenge. Right. And yeah, able, I'm not going out like this. I, I I buy it. I still buy it. I do too. I, I well I I buy it in this fairy tale storybook thing. Okay. Sure. Totally, totally on board. All right. And then, like, I just feel like it's, it just, just all pays off so beautifully. And the, I mean, at some point, does the guy say, stop saying that? Or does he, yes. just he just continue to say, yes. I think it's Nigo Montoya, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and the chemistry of that battle where the one guy it. gets weaker as the other guy gets stronger, I think is amazing. And then at the end, where he's got him groveling and, He's like, I want yeah. my father back, you son of a bitch. He kills him. It's uh, it's, it's a real, real crowd pleaser. I think so. And also the scene where Wesley talks down Prince Humperdinck. To the pain. To the pain. And he describes the pain in great detail to my, much to my enjoyment. I think, but it's also like it's hilarious. they're really walking a fine line between this dialogue <laughs> working and not. When he's like, you warthog, warthog face buffoon, <laughs> you heaving vomitous mass. They are, but it works for me. I know because man. you clearly just... see his his ulterior motive, which is to stall for time. Sure. Right? He's he's both trying to stall for time and maybe talk himself out of this situation. Yeah. Uh, but at every minute he can stall, he gets stronger. So I I really just I love that dynamic. And they build it such an epic moment when he does get to his feet and put the sword at the guy, and it's, you're from his point of view. Yeah. And then they cut to the prince, and he just like hilariously rolls over and wets himself uh-huh. like he grabs his skirt and just jumps into this like i'm ready to be tied up it's <laughs> yeah you know, again it's the performances amazing. is what was what makes this stuff yeah uh oh man i were in kind of we're at the end of the movie and i feel like that there's a nice little arc with the grandpa where you know mm-hmm. now fred savage is he wants to know that you know because he's invested now right wesley and buttercup have earned this this mm-hmm. passionate pure kiss right and he's willing to sit through the the kissing parts and uh you know uh who what fezzik he redeems himself by getting all the everybody to horses uh he's the andre the giant guy oh that's his name okay yeah that was another funny physical comedy of uh, mandy patinkin throwing and launching himself bodily against his door trying desperately to get in and fezzik just comes in there and one hand smashes it yeah and I feel like, you know, Robin Hood Men in Tights owes a lot to this movie. Uh, a lot, a lot. Like, some of the jokes are directly from this, it. I, I wonder what how that what that movie looks like if it if Carrie Elwes didn't play uh, Wesley. That, like, and, like, there are scenes that are almost straight out of it. Like, this window scene where they're jumping down. Mm. I mean, they, they do that, essentially, with the horses in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just wonder, because I, again, I, it's... it's you know that movie's better than I, I. I guess I built it up in my head when I go first. Yeah, like I was expecting. Like I, you know, I'm a big fan of Young Frankenstein, a big fan of like everybody. 
uh, Blazing balls. Saddles. Spaceballs, I think, is Spaceballs is, is a little is is some is another one where it's like I feel like Max Brooks, Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks, God, uh, yeah, not the zombie guy. Yeah. Mel Brooks kind of needed his updated shtick, and he never did. And right to his great benefit, his shtick has kind of come back into vogue. Like, I want to say something a little controversial. Okay, I think Robin Hood Men in Tights, and certainly Young Frankenstein. I don't think that's controversial. Is better than Spaceballs. I I don't I think Spaceballs is okay, right? Like Blazing Saddles, which I just recently watched. Um, Young Frankenstein, and I think Young Frankenstein is his best work ever. Have you it's... seen the producers? No, I haven't. The I, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but when you see the play that they actually put on, is it, it like a Dayman Nightman sort of Nightman cometh sort of thing? It wishes. It, I mean, Dayman wishes it could hold this thing, wow. Jock. And the way they build it up because you don't really know, mm-hmm. like you kind of got an idea of like you know what it's supposed to be about. And it's supposed to be a shockingly bad thing, but it's it's just really funny. <laughs> and the if you get a chance to see it on on the stage, it's it's also really really funny. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I need to see. He's kind of had like a second life adapting some of this stuff to, uh, you know, Broadway, yeah. which it feels kind of right at home with. Yeah, I, I actually, man, now that I think about it, one of the one of my least favorites of Mel Brooks is Spaceballs. <laughs> hmm. Like, I think, I mean, Dead and Loving It's pretty terrible. I That's seen the that. Dracula spoof with Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, wait, is it Nielsen? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think Robin Hood is like those are my three bottom movies. Spaceballs, huh. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and and Dead and Loving It. But I have seen that the, the uh, uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights recently, and there's some cringe where they, where he tries to do rap, and it's like, man, you're it's an terrible. old Jewish yeah. guy, you don't understand this enough to appropriately do a good send up of it, and yeah. it's just so cringy, so cringy. It uh, is. Anyway, uh, where were? How do we get on that that thing? Uh, just the the tone of this movie. Ah. It's surprisingly it has it has heartfelt moments, very serious moments, and comedy. And I think it it doesn't do a great job of seamlessly mixing those things, but it does do a good job of it doesn't feel jarring. making them all work. Yeah, uh, on on their own. Uh, it's just it's it's surprising that this movie works as well as it does, given the dramatic shifts in tone. Yeah, and I'm I've. I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of what this movie would be, what what this movie, how this movie would play if you removed the conceit of the grandfather and the son and the grandson. Well, uh, do a fan edit. Yeah, well, I mean, he's still uh, narrating it, so you'd have to explain or kind of eliminate the Fred Savage parts of it. But I feel like the ads, like it might even be fifty percent of the movie. Like it gives it a foundation, huh. a heart that the movie wouldn't have. From the very first scene, that's like you, true. It might yeah. earn it, but it like it it gets so much of that, and I think that Fred Savage is like really good as a kid, shockingly good, and he's not being asked to do a lot, right. but like he's just really he's just a really cute, smart kid who's appropriately put off by his grandfather reading to him, but not a dick about it. Right. I felt like he like, understood he's been the jokes. Right. Yeah. Like like they explained to him, look, you're in this scene and. You don't want to hear about the kissing stuff. Sure. Uh, your grandfather's kind of annoying you, and you just want to get back to video games. Right. Now do it. And you're humoring because you love your grandpa. You don't want to hurt his feeling. You're going to humor him. Right. And I, it always shocks me when I see a really good kid actor, uh, a young actor, because I just don't expect them to be able to understand the emotions, let alone put them on screen. It makes me them. want to see The Wonder Years again. 
Yeah. Because I saw The Wonder Years kind of as I was as old as – and I, I remember really liking it because it was such a neat thing to see yeah. – uh, a guy like me, you uh-huh. know, I'm like a 10-year-old boy. It's like, I, this guy's starring this show, and, like, I can understand how he feels about his dad. And I didn't get any of the cultural references and his crazy sister who's pro- burning a bra and, and, and protesting the Vietnam War and right. what that did to her father and the relationship between the mom and the dad. Like, that stuff, but, like, yeah, that's why I think uh, I think it's interesting that uh, people poo-poo, like, you know, diversity in Hollywood sometimes because – as a 10-year-old boy, it was powerful to see another 10-year-old boy just like me on the screen. And that engaged with me in a way. So, like, yeah, that's a powerful way to engage audiences. No, I think, uh, for my money, Wonder Years is one of the best family comedies ever made. But I couldn't tell you a single plot from it other than sure. like the one that sticks out in my mind. Winnie is, Cooper is, is Winnie's is, main uh, squeeze. And, and the whole, I like you, but I don't like you like you. Uh-huh. And I remember like, oh, there's an awkward oh, basement oh, party kissing scene. Oh, like... Kevin, it's so bad. <laughs> and when she shows up for the like, first day of school wearing go-go boots and like the blue is fu- I was like, yeah, I can relate uh-huh. to that too. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I kind of want to see the Wonder Years again because right. I bet he's amazing in it. Uh, we have a couple other things to talk about. One thing, the other thing that doesn't work for, for me in this movie at all is the credits song. What was the credit song? It's some kind of overwrought, dramatic opera singing of the theme song. Was the theme song? I, <laughs> I completely the ignored you the music because you this, were apparently. you were. I, I think you blocked it from your memory because you were having a physical reaction to how bad this was. Is this guy going? What is this endless story? Oh, how right. am I ever gonna stop singing this fucking song? <laughs> it was Dude. Andre the Giant with his guitar. <laughs> it's. It's terrible. Playing a country tune. Yeah, you yeah. You cannot no, stop the movie fast enough. You're right. Now I do remember it. It's fucking horrible. Uh, so Robot K wanted to know if we'd read As You Wish. I'm going to, but I haven't, I haven't. read it yet. Uh, and there's another interesting thing that I think was Allison sent in. Allison Wildy. Uh, she goes, the other thing that's been eating me, and it, me too, on my first rewatch in over 10 years is the character of Buttercup. She's the only woman in the movie with more than five minutes of screen time. I think the only other one is the garbage witch. <laughs> Wait. Which, which garbage witch? Ba- which, the there's... one shouting in her dream or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about or Valerie. Mel, Mel, not Mel Brooks. Uh, Billy Crystal's wife. No, I'm talking about Valerie. Valerie's okay. cool. I'm talking about the garbage witch. <laughs> garbage witch. <laughs> uh, uh, she's, only, she's given more than five minutes of screen time but doesn't seem to be given much to do with it. This is particularly relevant, relevance to me as I have a four-year-old daughter and watch this with her. I'm trying to be thoughtful about the depictions of women in the media I expose her to and I found myself cringing at Buttercup for the first time. Not at Robin Wright's performance, which is fine, but at the character herself. In a movie where the vast majority of characters are complex and witty, I found her to be lacking. Uh, at least hit the damn R.A.U.S. with a stick, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Articles on Buttercup run the gamut from comparing her to a character replaceable by a my size Barbie and one of the most pathetic film characters of all time. She links to an article who just eviscerates poor Buttercup. To a depiction of Buttercup as someone who is in charge at the beginning of the movie, and once she experiences the apparent loss of Wesley, makes pra- pragmatic moves, and sometimes bold ones, like jumping into the ocean among the screaming eels to escape her captors. Right. I love to embrace the later interpretation, but I'm hesitating. I mean, that is a statement that a strong female character in a world ruled entirely by the patriarchy's bravest way to rebel is to try to continually commit suicide. Here's here's the problem with analyzing this too much. 
Okay. Maybe, maybe people are not going to like me saying this. A 30 year old movie. It's 25 so, year old, but or is, I mean, it's, it's damn near. 30, it's 87. Okay. So you're you're right. I mean, that's almost right. 30 years. 2012 years. was a minute ago. <laughs> it was a uh, 30 year old movie. B the setting. The setting of the movie is you know medieval sort of uh, you know whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's that time in our history. Yeah. Uh, number three or C, I can't remember if I use letters or numbers. Uh, this is a fairy tale, right? And in sure. fairy tales, women are not portrayed as strong. They always need the the male hero to come in and save them. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how fairy tales were written. Because guess when they were written? Way back in the fucking day when that's how everyone viewed women. Uh, so uh, while I do agree that that criticism can certainly be leveled against this movie. I don't know if it's fair to like docket points for that. Well, I think the the reason you dock it is as she goes on goes. My daughter loves the movie and cheered when the count died. And at the end, I asked her who her favorite person was, and she said Buttercup. I asked her why, and the answer was because she was beautiful. Uh, I okay. asked if there is anything else she liked, and it amounted to tiaras and dresses, which didn't help Buttercup's case. But this is coming sure. from a preschooler, so I take it for the grain of salt. But but it's I, I get your point, and if this was made in 2016, I'd say no. So what the fuck? But. It's more of like, uh, hmm, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think she's saying this is a terrible movie and that Rob Reiner should be ashamed of himself. It's more of like, if you're trying to raise a daughter who you want to have a particular value about femininity, Mm -hmm. is this, like, at what point, like, you want to show this to your four or five year old people because that's, because they're at their most impressionable. Whereas, like, right. if you wait until they're, you know, a thirty-something-year-old man, maybe it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. If your have daughter's the full turning. I mean, your daughter could turn into a thirty-something-year-old man. That's fine, but uh, they usually don't. And I, I just think like you got to limit. Uh, sure, you got to limit what you want your kids to see. If you yeah. want them to be exposed to certain things, do it. If not, don't. I mean, maybe this isn't appropriate for a young girl anymore. Well, uh, I think it that, probably never was, but and sometimes you just have to relax about that stuff a little bit because, like, I I have the same thing with my son, and I'm undermined all the fucking time. Like, I'll I try to teach him about how I think men and women should relate, and then I take him out into the world, and some sales lady comes up uh, and says, uh, you know, she's trying to sell us something in the mall. It's like some kind of beauty product, and I'm like, oh no, thanks, and. She's like she tells she turns to my son who's like six years old at the time and says, "Doesn't your daddy know that the way to keep your mommy happy is to buy her a bunch of things and make her feel?" And I'm like, "Right, get the fuck behind me, Satan!" And I'm checking out with him. Like we decided it was, uh, I think it was Cecily's birthday, and we got her a card and flowers. And the woman checking us out is like, "Oh, your daddy really knows how to make mommy happy," and I'm like, "No." This is like I did. What? What are you? What's the fuck are you trying to teach? I, I'm trying to tell him that this is not how you. This is, this is the bullshit way you don't interact with the the other side. It's it's going to be subverted. The only thing you can do is it is be consistent yeah. in the message you try to teach him. Right. Right. Which might include you know I don't I mean I don't know how you give a four year old a speech on the patriarchy after they watch Princess Bride. Yep, that's and a some, tough thing. Maybe if they're Fred Savage, maybe you can. Maybe well, the other thing is intelligent enough and and emotionally equipped yeah. enough to understand it. And kids are going to be kids. Like you might have a girly girl. Sure, sure. Like, and that's There's like in, in, that. in a, a a a a in a society where women can be anything they want to be. Some uh-huh. of them might choose to be girly girls. Yeah. 
um, you know, it's, I guess the, the, what we all want is the freedom to be the type of person we yeah. want to be without society harshing our buzz about it. Right. So it's, I feel for you. I feel for any parent trying to raise a kid in any particular way. Because... And you can also be a girly girl without being helpless. I mean, there's not, yes. those two things aren't mutually exclusive. It's, yes. You, you can like to do your hair and put makeup on and not be a damsel in distress. You That's know? <laughs> true. That's true. There's many fine, fine ways you can split that. Yeah. Uh, it was the 80s, man. Yeah. I mean, we'll look back in 30 years and say it was the 2016. I know, and I, I can already kind of see where these battle up. lines are being drawn and how I'm going to be embarrassing jackass uh, if I listen to my podcast in 30 years. But <laughs> Of course. Yeah. The only thing you can do, you can only, you can only be as uh, good as you know how to be, I guess. Yeah. And as long as you continue to try to get better, I think you're doing the right thing. So, Rob Reiner, you need to make a remake where... There you go. Where the, you Wesley got the Dread the Pirate princess. Buttercup. <laughs> Dread Pirate Buttercup. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I uh, hope you guys liked the treatment we did to the Princess Bride. Anything, any last words you want to say about it? I mean, I, I just really want to say fuck the community for making me watch this, making me break my <laughs> oath to myself. Uh, the false... I, your, I, I, see, that's the thing. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I have like had a principled stand about not doing when it comes to entertainment. I don't know that there is. <laughs> trying to think if there's something that I've, I've sworn that I just would not partake of. I don't know. I usually say my solemn oath for other things, I guess. Right, right. Uh, and you know, this has always been tongue in cheek, but it's been fun to maintain. Oh, it's been real. That ridiculous oath, that uh, ridiculous vow. How were you actually bummed out on some level when this happened? Uh, did you? Like, I'll ask you another question. When we were considering the community commissions, it's bittersweet. Did you? Did you was it in the back of your mind that oh god? I'm going to have to, because it's inevitable that I'm going to watch yeah. Princess Bride. No, okay. absolutely. I thought that would be the first thing commissioned. Okay. And I don't know I that wondered it wasn't. if you went in that with your eyes open. Yeah, yeah. Especially okay. because we had talked about, you know, how I hadn't seen Princess Bride and all this stuff, and people couldn't believe it, just like everyone else I've ever talked to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew it was coming. I okay. It was coming. Uh, but anyway, thanks for all and sundry who uh, commissioned this podcast. We appreciate your support. If you'd like to find out how you can commission your own podcast, as always, go to baldmove.com slash shop. Uh, Just loaded it up with a bunch of new options for the community commissions, and you can always just, uh, you know, if it's something something personal, uh, something a little weird, something a little off the beaten path that you just got to hear us talk about, you can always just go all in on uh, on your own. Mm -hmm. Uh, But all those options are at baldmove.com slash shop. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.